right, we're back with another episode with you, Sharo. We're going to talk about macro and and uh, and a little bit of FX. Um, it was a pretty dramatic week last week with um, you know the market, especially in the equity market, rallying. We had the the Fed, you know, painting a picture that that peak rates are here and and we'll move. We're now moving into a, a different different environment. We had you know soft labor market uh, data, and it all painted a a picture that you know maybe we had gone too far in the US 10 year yield it it went from you know 5% yield you know a little bit less than 2 weeks ago to ending on friday at just a little bit around 455 so uh, a sizable move uh, there in the bond market and obviously also a big move in the dollar the dollar took out some of the the recent uh, the recent gains and um, yeah i think it's trading the uh, the weakest for at least over a month so it's um there's a lot to chew on here, Sharon. What, what's what's the takeaway? What's your thoughts on the on the dollar? Is this turn lower? Is that sustainable? Um, and how to think about this whole message that came from the uh, from the FMC? Uh, yes, hi Peter. Totally. I mean, markets are you know celebrating that softer jobs report uh, from Friday. And so far, we are in that zone where bad news is uh, good news. Um, and it appears that environment could also get a little bit of a help from the seasonality aspect. It appears like that Santa rally is coming in a little bit earlier this time in stocks. And that that has obviously meant that the dollar um, has been sold off because of the demand for risk assets. And as markets are starting uh, to um, bring forward the expectations of rate cuts for next year from the Fed. Uh, so I think this, this week will certainly be a key test on that rhetoric that the market is operating on right now. Uh, today, we get um, the Fed's uh, senior loan officer opinion survey, which basically, uh, you know, kind of gives us a, a broad overview about um, how much tighter the lending sta standards in the US banking space are starting to look. So in the second quarter survey, we already saw that uh, banks were planning to tighten credit in the second half of the year. And uh, we get the quarter three numbers now. And there are obviously risks that we could see some increased signs of credit tightening there. Uh, so I think that's particularly something that to watch and that's something which could continue to give a boost to this um, this bad news is good news kind of a rhetoric that's playing in right now. Momentum is in support for a further weakness in the dollar and the stretched long positioning that has already built up also over the last few weeks does point towards the fact that we could see some more downside in the dollar as well. Uh, but I think my key concern really here is that if these um, long end yields uh, start to drop, uh, substantially, then it would uh, undo the work that the Fed has been hoping that the rise in long-end yields would do for them in terms of substituting for a rate hike. So if they if they really drop from here, does that open the door for another Fed rate hike or some tweaks to uh, the Fed's quantitative tightening program? I think the Fed members will have to maintain quite a bit of an hawkish posture. This week, we get uh, Fed Chair Powell speaking on Wednesday, on Thursday again as well. Uh, so I think they would want to keep those long-end deals anchored um, and try to avoid premature loosening of uh, financial conditions here. So I think that's really key to watch in terms of the US dollar story, but also uh, particularly interesting to note that uh, the softer jobs market 
may have led to, uh, you know, an expectation that that U.S. exceptionalism story is weakening now. But it does not warrant the fact that we can be more optimistic about growth across the Atlantic. So, you know, of course, the Eurozone growth metrics still appear far weaker than what the U.S. Um, is expected to show. And I think so we will potentially get a uh, test of the strength for uh, the euro dollar as well. We've seen euro dollar getting in close uh, sides of 107.50. But if we see a further turn lower in eurozone activity data this week, or ECB's inflation expectations being revised lower, um, I do think we could get that test of the euro dollar strength, which again goes to say that this uh, downside pressure that we're seeing on the dollar could prove fleeting at this moment. Yeah, I, I, I think it was funny when you, <clears throat> or interesting when you said that with the um, with the Powell's remark that the, the long end of the US yield curve had already done a lot of the work and then his new wording and the macro data we got uh, last week sort of just took a lot of the long end of the yield curve down so much. So, yes. and, 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 and when you look at the Chicago Fed uh, adjusted financial condition index, the financial conditions have been more or less unchanged. There was a little bit of a, a whipslash uh, during around the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, but more or less stable or in a range, the same financial conditions now for 18 months. So, and they are still looser than the historical average. So, yeah, I, I, I think that I think if the market gets too premature here on oh we uh, you know inflation is is, is coming down now and uh, everything is getting a soft landing I think the market will then find itself that it got ahead of it get got too much ahead of itself yes. but um, but that's yeah. but I think that's a big open question here. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that really uh, puts me to you know kind of get a little bit worried about what kind of a rhetoric we get from those Fed officials this week. Because we know we are at a point now where data will start to weaken, you know, whether you look at the consumer side or the bank lending side, which I said is going to be out today in that survey, uh, the data will have to continue to kind of, you know, uh, uh, put in place some more expectations of rate cuts from the Fed. How does the Fed kind of, um, you know, uh, go against that and kind of still call for um, high for longer, because even if you look at the ice and services number that came out on Friday, the headline was softer than expected. But we did see that the prices paid component is starting to bottom out. So that is starting to rise, which is certainly still giving out that stagflationary uh, impulse. And the Fed will have to be really cautious about maintaining that higher for longer message, despite the, the weakening growth impulse that we're getting right now. Yeah, before we, we before we, we we're going to talk about China, but just very brief. I mean, the the weaker U.S. ten-year yield obviously takes a little bit of the pressure off the the Japanese, uh, or it strengthened relatively the Japanese yen against the dollar. As you as you as you've talked about before, it seems like the Bank of Japan doesn't really have a clear exit strategy. But then on the other hand, is maybe it's getting a little bit of a help here from from the U.S. if we believe that it's more long-lasting. But I, but it, does it really help? Bank of Japan in making some some critical decisions. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like you, you know, rightly said, the Bank of Japan last week they did allow that 
you know, increasing flexibility around the 10-year yield target. Uh, but we had the governor, Ueda, out um, on the wires uh, this morning in Asian hours, and he was kind of uh, uh, trying to still, um, you know, reaffirm that uh, he needs to see wage pressures before really making any tweaks to policy to before really removing those negative uh, interest rates. Um, and he was uh, trying to kind of delay that decision and trying to still say that they're going to remain dovish because that's what the economy needs. Uh, so certainly there appears um, you know, that there is no clear exit policy and the BOJ is trying to be extremely subtle with its moves, uh, uh, being very conscious of the fact um, of the repercussions that a move uh, from the BOJ can have on global markets, on global liquidity conditions as well. Uh, so I would think, yes, certainly the 10-year yield means a lot for where the Japanese yen can go from here. Um, and we could see a period of recovery building in for the Japanese yen because of the move lower in 10-year yields. But uh, given this lack of a clear exit policy from the Bank of Japan, headwinds are going to keep returning to uh, the Japanese yen. And we could see these 150 plus kind of levels coming back in USD yen, um, unless, of course, you know, we, we can be more um, uh, comforted by the fact that the BOJ is ready to remove these negative interest rates. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move to China because um, <laughs> we started the year with big hopes for, for the Chinese reopening. It really faded. The real estate uh, cracks, uncertainties still linger. They're still there. A lot of trouble, a lot of discussions about you know what is the financial strength uh, of the of the Chinese economy. The consumer has actually been doing okay. Still weakness in the manufacturing. We've got some soft uh, recent data. Where 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 are we on China and what to look out for this week? Uh, so we do get a lot of uh, data this week, but uh, I am doubtful we get a clearer picture. I think data will more or less still be mixed. Um, the latest measures, um, you know, today they announced over the weekend rather that, you know, they're more geared towards boosting imports and expanding market access. Uh, but really, you know, so far, whatever uh, stimulus measures we've seen in China, they've been geared more towards the industrial sector or towards the state-owned enterprises. Um, and there has been a real lack of supportive measures for the consumer, I would say. Uh, I think that would be reflected quite well in the data today in this week when we get inflation, which is expected to turn negative. Um, and the trade data as well, which, um, again, you know, uh, they're likely to be less bad, uh, but they're still expected to be um, a contraction for both exports and imports. And whatever recovery we really see, uh, there's only going to come because of the base effect. So not particularly indicative that demand may have bottomed here. Uh, so I think uh, the only positive news that we can get out of China this week could potentially be in the credit data, uh, where you know there is some hope that um, uh, there might have been an increased demand for loans or for borrowing because of the measures that have been announced by the authorities in the last several weeks. Uh, but overall, I don't see how this week's data is really going to change the narrative that we have around the Chinese economy. Uh, you know, some still continue to argue in favor of that tactical recovery, uh, which looks likely if you look at, you know, from a valuation perspective where uh, CSI 300 is actually trading just above uh, 10 times uh, forward PE uh, compared to a five-year average of uh, 12 and a half or so. 
the earnings outlook is also attractive uh, with earnings growth expected to be 22% over the next 12 months or so. Uh, so there could be, uh, you know, the uh, some reasons to believe we could see a short term rally here. Uh, but, you know, structural challenges still remain coming from geopolitics, coming from uh, regulatory uh, concerns, coming from, uh, you know, the whole uh, outlook, the macro outlook where the economy is moving to a slow growth path and uh, that continues to say that it will remain hard to really justify uh, the outperformance of the Chinese economy on a long-term basis. Yeah, some good points there, Sharo. And um, something that is definitely related to uh, to China is the Australian economy. And we have a decision tomorrow from the Royal Bank of Australia, the central bank down there. And... Um, yeah, so what's what can we expect from uh, from Australia here? I mean, it's, the Australian economy is is really being, you know, on some levels, at least some parts of the economy being dragged down by this um, this slow recovery that we've seen in in China, and um, and and we still have all the inflation the inflation dynamics. So what what is the what is the task ahead of the RBA in tomorrow's decision? Yeah, I think a really critical meeting ahead uh, tomorrow for the Reserve Bank of Australia. Uh, so. Um, it's been a tricky uh, setup going into this meeting where the RBA initially said uh, that their tolerance for inflation overshooting the target is low. And just after that, we had the third quarter CPI number really come in above expectations, which obviously kind of led the market to start to expect a rate hike uh, from the RBA at this meeting after four consecutive uh, pause decisions. Uh, but just after that CPI number, um, the the governor, uh, Michelle Bullock, she actually toned down her hawkishness a little bit. Um, and she said that uh, this overshoot in CPI was just as expected. Uh, so there's been a, a little bit of a mixed rhetoric, which has also meant that uh, while economists are actually expecting a 25 basis points rate hike at the meeting tomorrow, the market is a little bit more split around and uh, is expecting a rate hike with only about a 50% uh, probability there. But uh, I think uh, the setup really means that uh, the stakes are high. RBA's credibility will be on test if they do not follow through on that strong rhetoric that came uh, through uh, about their tolerance for inflation overshoot. Um, I think potentially, um, you know, given concerns about an economic slowdown, uh, about the China risks that you mentioned, about other global central banks such as the Fed, ECB and the Bank of England really kind of reaching an end to their tightening cycle, all that justifies potentially a hold for the RBA. Uh, but just that the expectation has built up in a way that now if they do not hike at this point, um, you know, it will be questioned whether the RBA is really independent. So I think one of the options for the RBA could really be to choose a midway. So, you know, maybe hike by 15 basis points and not by 25 basis points. Um, and if we do get that hike, you know, um, I would think that short term factors for now are turning a little bit in favor of the Aussie dollar because we have this risk sentiment being revived because of uh, the Fed expectations that are turning after that soft NFP number that we just discussed. Um, and uh, the China stimulus as well, again, we talked about 
the potential for a tactical recovery there, all that could be supportive uh, for the Aussie dollar in the short run, short run. But again, you know, I think for the Aussie dollar as well, the, the trade dynamics and the whole structural uh, slowdown in China story and the global recession concerns structurally still continue to point towards further headwinds for the Aussie dollar as well. Yeah, good points, and it it is it has been a, a significant move there in the uh, the Aussie dollar. But um, I think that ends the uh, the podcast. So the the key the key things to to watch this week, obviously, is how does the how does the the U.S. bond market uh, continue this week after the sizable reaction we had last week? Will it continue? What we will what will happen to EM? Uh, you know, currencies will they will they continue to strengthen? What happens to the Japanese yen? We have the, the Chinese story very much still there. We'll have inflation and trade data. Other numbers are coming out. We have the RBN8 rate decision tomorrow, as just said by Sharo. Very interesting to follow how the Australian dollar, whether that uh, that dollar, uh, the Australian dollar can continue to to strengthen. It's uh, at least up right now, um, and I've seen a significant breakout. But those are some of the things to watch for this week ahead. Um, and thank you for listening. We'll be back. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with Altia on Bond. Thank you.